I was psyched on blacksmithing. And then I ran into this little documentary on YouTube about a knife maker and uh, it changed everything. My name is Louise Newsom, entrepreneur and host of The Makers, where we tell the stories of how everyday creatives turn their passion into a sustainable business. On this episode, you'll meet Matt Yazzle, founder of Yazzle Knives and part of the Maker Central team in Tarrytown, New York, a community workspace for artisanal makers who have learned and honed their craft either on their own, at school, or at one of the numerous and invaluable teaching studios out there, and took the leap and turn that craft into an actual business. Matt Yazzle, a classically trained American bladesmith, finding his true passion after 20 years of restaurant and hospitality experience. His knives are made from scratch using a variety of raw materials, including steel, wood, and fabrics. A creator of one-of-a-kind kitchen tools that are highly functional, unique, and absolutely beautiful. It's great being here again at Maker Central, right here in Tarrytown. I'm just so inspired by what's happening in this space. Welcome back. It was it was fun to have you in the first time, which I rarely say to most people that feel like popping through here. But, um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to to talking with you for a bit. Yeah, no, I know we had such a great chat that day, and um, yeah, everyone was so patient. I was here way too long. I know I, I left. I was like, I overstayed my welcome. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. So anyway, so you studied fine arts. Yeah, you know, you could say that. I guess I did say that. So were you were you painting or were you doing sculpture or none um, of that? A little bit of everything. Uh, I was always, you know, an artistic child. Um, mostly it started with, you know, pencil and pen and drawing and things like that. And then uh, through high school, the only class I really could excel in was literally anything to do with art. And then... Um, you know, graduated, all that stuff, went to a community college um, for art, and yeah, it was mostly pencil drawing again. I, I dabbled with painting and started learning art history, that sort of thing. So did you actually make a living from this? No, well, <laughs> it turns out, as I knew even before that experience, that I'm just not a very good student. I don't, um, I don't learn in the same way that most people do. I wasn't a great student, and so you know I didn't really leave that college experience with all the tools to even be able to, first of all, understand how to start and then run a business, um, or even to you know really hone in and figure out what I wanted to do with my art. So. Well, but obviously you did. I mean, you're doing two <laughs> yeah. things yeah. that you just said yeah. that you didn't want, you didn't know how to do. You're running a business. Yeah. And you got into the craft and the art of bladesmithing. Mm -hmm. So how did that happen? Well, I had to think about it for about 20 years. And uh, um, yeah, I don't really know. It's, it's just one of those things, I guess, that for me, it, it found me at the time in my life where I was ready to find my passion. And um, I think that if I had discovered this, you know, right out of high school or even 10 years ago, I might not have taken it as seriously or, or have been as passionate in my pursuit of it. Where did that come from? I mean, so we're all from restaurants. That's all of our, our past. Um, I think we can all say that we took a lot out of that experience. I mean, so much of my life and, and who I am today is shaped by the restaurant experience. All my friends, the, 
you know, the things that my values, all those things revolve around um, the restaurant. But after, again, 20 years working in that environment, um, it's the party kind of ends at a point. And then I'm left thinking, like, what is going to be there after this that's going to really fulfill me? So what were you doing in the restaurant business? Everything. Right. Yep, everything. I started off my first job. I was 14. Uh, I was working at Friendly's Ice Cream. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Oh, but, yes. Yeah. Plenty um, of Friendly's in yep. the past. Yeah, exactly. So good. <laughs> Give me a Sunday so right good. now. Um, so, yeah, I was, I was, you know, cooking burgers and making quesadillas at Friendly's for a couple of years. And then I found out that you could make a lot more money um, working in the front of the house and serving. So I started doing that. Um, I quickly escalated to working at what would be considered the best restaurant in my hometown. And then from there, I moved to Boston and then kind of worked that scene for about 10 years, working my way up the ranks and learning more and more. Um, I've done, I've worked literally every single position in a restaurant. There's not one thing that I haven't done. So the fascination with knives, Mm. I mean, is this something that you had as a, a little boy? Actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You it, told me a funny story when I, I was here last time. Well, yeah, it's... It, <laughs> and it's you and your knives. Totally. And them. It's, it's just as crazy to me as it is to anybody else, I'm sure. But, um, yeah, ever... I, I think you get older, you start to forget the things about yourself, right? Like, how did I end up here? Why do I... Why am I the way that I am? And, and yada, yada. So... Last Christmas, um, I went to my parents' house and started like rummaging through my stuff in the attic and I'm pulling out, you know, football crap and I finally get to my art stuff um, and it's all very fascinating to look at. All my report cards, which are just horrible. We'll, we'll save that for the next conversation. <laughs> and uh, it's fun looking at that. Yeah, yeah, exactly, sort of. Um, but in the bottom of the box, I came across a knife collection that I had when I was a little kid. And it started from my first ever knife that I received as a Boy Scout. And it's this tiny little folding thing. And I got it for Christmas. And I just remember looking at it and just wondering what was going on in there. I loved it so much, I didn't even really use it because I didn't want to wreck it. Um, and I'm digging through this box. And I found a few more, a few more knives. And it, I end up pulling out 10 or so different knives that I'd collected as a child, um, one of which is it just brings back so many memories. I think this is probably what you're thinking about, is that when I was probably nine or 10, um, I somehow acquired this really big folding knife. I mean, the blade is probably five and a half inches long. And for a little kid with 10-year-old hands, it's like a sword. Um, <laughs> Definitely, and, yeah. lethal weapon. Oh yeah, no, I, where were my parents? Where were they, what were they doing? <laughs> um, and we would, uh, my, my friends and I would love to like kind of tromp around the woods and. and do that sort of stuff. So every day before I left for the woods, I would go to my to the outside of my house where I hid my knife. I buried it underneath the outer portion of a um, an air conditioning unit, like the big fan thing. So I, I buried it under there where no one could find it but me. And then every day I would take it out and and do my wood stuff with it. And of course, you know, before dinner I'd have to sneak it back into its safe place. Were you hiding it from anyone, or was that was just possible? I was hiding it from everybody. Right. I wasn't supposed to have that. Right. I think there, you know, there was a knife in there. How did you get hold of that? There, I have no idea. I don't know. <laughs> it was. I bet you it was my grandfather's, and I probably pilfered it, unfortunately, uh, from him. But yeah. So you forgot that I, you hid it there. I did. I did. We moved out of that house maybe a year later, so I was probably 11 or 12 when we moved out, and then I forgot about it for 
into my early 20s. So 10 years later, I end up <laughs> driving up to my childhood home. And of course, several different families have lived in this house by then. Uh, and I kind of snuck around the back and you know, dug up my, my prized folding knife. Oh my goodness. It's crazy, yeah. Did, was, you, did you show the people that were living in the house? No, I took off. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I got out of there. That's a riot. Yeah, I grabbed one of their bikes too on the way out. I just took whatever I could, <laughs> I could really fit in my hands. They'll never miss it. Um, but yeah, it was just sitting there waiting for me and it just really brought back so many feelings and memories of, of being a kid. And nice. The Makers is brought to you by Trade and Prosper. Here we share the stories of individuals and businesses that make our communities. We believe in those who are committed to doing well by doing good, using their hands, minds and hearts to create a better place for us all and believe that a little sweat and a lot of sharing turns a community into a populace of prosperity. Trade and Prosper is a forum where those like-minded individuals meet to trade ideas, information, goods and services, as well as build long-lasting relationships that enable them to expand their reach locally and also globally. For more information on our organisation and for more podcast episodes, head over to tradeandprosper.com. Follow us on social media and join our Facebook group to connect with our growing community of creative entrepreneurs. You worked in, a re in restaurants, you mm -hmm. worked front of house, back of house. Mm -hmm. You had a fascination with knives as a kid, you realized. Right. So how did this all kind of fuse where you were like, okay, I am now, I'm going to make knives mm. for... I mean, these, these knives, I mean, we have a few in front of us here. They're exquisite. Yeah, they're not bad. But these are like for somebody who wants this really special knife, right? A chef yeah. buys these, right? Or home, you know. I mean, who, who, who are your customers, first of all? More or less. Well, I mean, so my customers are pretty, I like to think of my customers mostly as kind of people like myself, but maybe had their shit together a little bit before I did. I don't know if we can say that word here, but, um, you know, people around my age, I'm 37 right now and so old I, I know I'm a geezer uh, <laughs> yeah right <laughs> I think I think around my age give or take 10 years um, you know more cooking enthusiasts people that have worked maybe behind a desk uh, for a long time and they just want to you know go home and handle a piece of you know something handcrafted with a story maybe something they want to include in their own lives but don't necessarily you know maybe they haven't developed the the, the skills um, did you know there was a market for this though? No, no, I, well actually, I didn't go directly to knife making from restaurants. I went, uh, I started carpentry and just kind of making small projects in my, in my tiny Boston living room, apartment living room. So I was making spice racks out of my, out of that same living room. And this is a Boston apartment. So we're looking at like a six by seven room and there was sawdust everywhere, and I'm making these spice racks, thinking I'm going to be a, a great carpenter. And then um, I learned about blacksmithing. There was a blacksmithing class really close to my to my apartment, so I went, and it blew my mind. Just the the ability to manipulate um, a material that is just seemingly permanent, um, but once you know under the right conditions, I guess just like everything else, uh, you, you can move it around um, and there, there are no limits to what you can do with it. So I was psyched on blacksmithing. I thought I'm going to be an ornamental blacksmith. I'm going to make, you know, 
whatever, brackets, hinges, just things that people need. And then I ran into this little documentary on YouTube about a knife maker in Vermont. And uh, it changed everything. What was it? So it's a, he's a guy named Nick Anger. Um, I saw this video, I guess, about two and a half, three years ago. And it was him telling his story and how he used to be like a social worker. And he liked his job, but it wasn't really fulfilling him. Um, and then the video takes you into his blacksmith you know, knife shop. And all, all the imagery just fascinated me. And just like you know, going back to that, that place where um, these old timey trades are just, I don't know, so crucial and beautiful at the same time. Um, and just watching him work and hearing him speak about it, I decided I have to give it a try at that point. I'd never thought, I don't, I don't know how knives are made. I know they're metal at that point, but I had to give it a shot. And so I started to look into ways that I could educate myself in that arena. Hmm. Well, I mean, you certainly have. Mm. My gosh, yeah. they're gorgeous. I mean, so, so all of the techniques, I mean, you, you, so you have steel, mm -hmm. and you have a finish on this knife. Right. Is this... I mean, that's all the way through the steel, you told yeah. me, right? So mm -hmm. it's not just something on the surface that's been embossed onto the knife. Oh, yeah. This is... Yeah, it's not, it's not a, a coating or a painting. Um, what we're looking at right now is it's a chef's blade. And um, basically, the process in which I have made the metal is called, uh, it's either pattern welded, it's referred to, or it's also referred to as Damascus steel. I'm not gonna try to teach everybody what that is so much right now, mm -hmm. but... Um, no. Is it through, is it heat process? Well, yeah. That creates so, the mm -hmm. shading? The, the long and short of it is that Damascus steel, and I'm sure that everyone has seen a knife like this at one time or another, but it has this really cool kind of wavy pattern in it um, that looks almost topographical. And it's created by taking two similar but slightly dissimilar types of high carbon steel and then kind of stacking them on top. They're almost like playing cards and you kind of alternate, you know, one type, the other type, one type, ah, the other type. And it gives you that, yeah. that detail. You heat it up and you hammer it out and you manipulate that, that now it's a block of steel into different shapes and create different patterns. So let's talk about the shapes mm -hmm. even before we get to the handles. Sure. So, you know, when you think about, especially if chefs are buying, coming to you mm -hmm. for knives, what are they looking for? Because they buy their expensive knife set and it's kind of, I presume, standard shapes yeah. and the certain sizes and they do different things. But you have some unusual shapes here. Mm -hmm. So what I like to make, um, typically, I like to make an all-purpose uh, chef's knife. Um, so the things that we have in front of us here are, it's kind of like a mashup of both you know, Japanese stylings as well as more European stylings. Um, the Japanese have a different type of knife and knife shape for like every kind of fish. They have, they have got like a million different knife shapes for very, very specific tasks. Whereas, you know, the American or German European chef's knife is, it's heavy, it's a workhorse, it's a big, it's a big tool. We've designed our chef's knife to be like a multi-purpose tool. You know, it's kind of like, this is our one knife. We want it to do almost everything uh, that we need it to do in the kitchen, whereas, you know, Japanese knives are very specific. So what I've decided to do and what a lot of, um, you know, handmade knife makers are doing now is creating 
a tool that has all of the greatest elements of all those knives kind of in one thing, in one item in your hand. So, uh, so when you say that, you mean it could even be used as a paring knife? Yeah, more or less, depending. I mean, right. I wouldn't, I wouldn't try to make like a, you know, a, a goose out of a tomato or a swan out of a tomato with one of these things. <laughs> then again, I obviously don't know how to do that anyway. Um, but yeah, like. For, I mean, do you get feedback from chefs who say, I mean, do they give you feedback? So absolutely. Design and yeah. mostly. <laughs> most of my feedback comes from like a chef, chefs online, and they'll see the pictures that I posted on Instagram, and they'll just tell me like, oh, you should do this and that, and. It'd be better if, if you know you added this element or took that away, and I really appreciate all of those notes. Um, Have they helped? Somewhat. It's great to ha- get an idea of what the the pro chef wants and needs in a blade. You know, for example, this guy I used to work with ten years ago. He popped into my DMs on Instagram, and he was telling me he was looking at a, an image of an eight-inch chef's knife, and he told me he said, "Look at what the the line cook right now needs." is like a six inch chef knife that's taller, you know, taller meaning from the heel portion of the blade uh, to the spine. Um, just because in a professional kitchen setting, it's faster, it's, you know, it's, there's, there's not as much opportunity for them to either hurt themselves with the knife or they can kind of just not even look at this knife and, and buzz through all their, all their prep work. So how come that's not a standard feature well, in a in a knife set. I mean that's that's a very interesting Yeah, it's a it's a very insight. Gr- it's great insight. And I love to hear stuff like that. And, I mean, I haven't designed or built that piece yet, but it's certainly something that I will in the future and I'll market that towards you know, chefs on the line, the line guys. It wouldn't be fancy like the things in front of us because those guys are dropping their knives all the time and you know, they're borrowing each other's knives and and whatever, so I wouldn't put some, you know, a piece that you're in love with behind in a prof- professional kitchen setting. But, but for a tool. But for yeah, for a tool for those guys just to get the job done, I think it was it was really great to get that feedback. I mean, on that on that premise, I mean, thinking about your business model, I mean, obviously your niche. Mm-hmm. Do you see yourself staying that staying that way? I mean, even just talking about this concept of this just one knife that could be used for many. Yeah, I mean, I definitely do. I'm not the, I didn't, I didn't start doing this to make a million dollars. You know, I didn't, my, my, my dream here is not to sell my designs of my knives to uh, commercial knife companies and have them make them for me because that defeats the entire purpose of this. Um, I started, I'm, I'm passionate about this because I see it as something that I can truly enjoy doing until the day that I die. You know, I don't want a job where I'm, where I'm just counting down the days to retirement. And for me, if I make a, a, a good living to where I'm a happier person ultimately, I think that's, that's where I want to be. Keep it small, keep it very personal. Um, you know, I, I really enjoy interacting with my clients and, and just actually having the experience of of seeing their reaction and their their joy with their new you know with their with their yazel knives so so let's go back to the knife design sure um and talk about the handle because mm-hmm. the handle is first of all a whole other material <laughs> yeah. um explain to me what you're using here and why you're using it and where you're even getting it from mm. so 
Yeah, the handle is definitely a different animal. Um, and side note, this is a huge reason why I love knife making because it's not just about making the blade. I get to work with metal, and then once that's you know that process is finished, then I get to work with wood and, and types of you know non-ferrous metals and other types of composite materials and things like bone and you know I've got mam woolly mammoth molar slices to, to utilize for for different handle components and so the there is no limit to what I can create and to like kind of the essence and feel that I can put into. Um, any given piece, just depending on on, on my uh, my imagination. How are you understanding the grip? I mean, uh, that's obviously yeah. really important. Yeah. <laughs> well, one thing that actually I learned quickly is um, that I mean, no one taught me how to make knives really, um, but no one teaches you how to make how to put a handle on a knife. Nobody does. It's there's no one that's going to stand over you, and I really wished for, for a while that this was the case, but no one's going to tell you the rules of making a knife handle because there aren't any. There's just a wrong way to do it. There's a ton of right ways, but there's a very wrong way to do it. Um, so... You the, need to make it stable? Oh, yeah. It's, first of all, it's, it's all um, form follows function. And that being said, I'm not the kind of person... I do not like measuring stuff. I, I live my... You know, I don't like clocks or alarms or anything like that. Um, I like to be just more, more free and allow um, my own kind of physical experience to help, you know, and to, to help guide me, yeah. So as far as these knife handles go, you know, I'm, I'm taking it and my hands are a little bit bigger, I think, than the average, but typically I wanna make sure that my front two fingers fit above that first ridge. So that's your support ridge. Yeah, and, and snug up to the handle, yeah. and then my back to have a place to go. So that's kind of like, I mean, if I was to say this right, the two front fingers against the knife blade are mm -hmm. supporting the whole piece, right. and the back two fingers are the pivot they allow you to move yeah. the knife. If, if you need to, right, exactly. So m most times, most often, people are gripping the knife at, at the blade oh, itself. Oh, at the blade. Right, they put is, their first finger and their thumb on mm -hmm. there. Because, right. you know, there's, it's just more, uh, you get more, like, dexterity, at, dexterity right. out of it. Um, it's a pinch grip. And then, you know, you want to be able to slide it back and to be able to do, like, a nice kind of a slicing motion right. with it, too, and have right. it be comfortable for that. I mean, it's, it's so, a paintbrush, in yeah, a way, yeah, right? Yeah. Because the, the cuts and the marks yeah. and everything that you're doing when you're prepping the food is so important. Well, if, if the knife isn't comfortable, then it's not really going to get used that much, unfortunately. And so I'd really try to, I handle these things a ton, um, a, way too much. And I just try to mimic the, the motions that the, the uh, end user is going to be kind of going through with it and try to make sure it's comfortable in each of those positions. And then I take it a step further and try to see how I can create an interesting look or, you know, flow of the lines and the curves in the in the handle. So how are you finding your customers? Mm. I mean, you do do you are you do you find yourself savvy with the marketing side of your business, or is that yeah. tough? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're we're getting there. I'm actually we're working on some branding things for me right now. We're we're building a website, um, and so all that thankfully is being done by people that know more about it than I do. I'm leaving that to the talented people. Uh, but really, so far it's been word of mouth. For the most part, obviously, we did this this Kickstarter here at Maker Central that was incredibly successful. I'm super, super grateful to have 
like this flood of, of people's interest in my work. And, you know, now I've got a, <laughs> a very full plate. But, you know. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Until then, it was, it was mostly, you know, I sell one knife to one person and then one of their friends finds out or, yeah, it's. What's the price of these knives? Oh. Like, what's the cost range? For I mean, just a range. For you, very affordable. For you. <laughs> um, um, I mean, are they like over $1,000? Depending, yeah. I mean, it just, so the cost is really based on the amount of time it takes to create the piece. Um, and, and the wood you're using for the handle. Yeah. And well, it's the materials can fluctuate in price, but typically that's not even a major element to this whole equation. Um, it's, it's really the amount of embellishment that takes me more time to make the knife. So if this chef's blade here is taking me, let's say, 50 hours. I mean, how much would you want for 50 hours of your of your right. time? You know, uh, so. And the people that appreciate and know this. They, yeah. They, they understand it. Exactly. And yeah. so for 50 hours of my time, and you know, I'm a kind of a new guy, this is a $1,300 knife. And um, for that, you're getting a completely unique, one-of-a-kind knife that I have literally toiled over to make sure that it's it's perfect in every way. And Do you have, um, custom piece, when I say custom, meaning that you have someone coming in who just is struggling with the universal availability, the knife availability out there, and they have their hand as a certain shape. That oh might yeah, be. absolutely. So they come to you for something totally. very specific. Yep. And my mother is is the first person to come to mind because she she's developed some pretty terrible arthritis over the past however many years, and, and she's a, a wonderful cook as well. She's a great home chef. And um, so, you know, I have to, I'm having to design these knives that she can kind of wrap her little claws around so she can continue to make us the food that we all love. There's another chef that's local. I won't mention his name, but he had an, uh, he's got an injury on his hand that prevents him from holding certain shapes. And all of those needs can be, you know, accommodated relatively simply. You can't, you're not going to find a, a commercial knife in a store that that's going to have those qualities or that thinks of the individual. Well, because basically with a knife, generally, it mm -hmm. is even on both sides, right? It is, yeah. it is basically a form that's following a certain design. Yeah. Yeah. So I suppose if someone with any kind of injury or, you know, that, that needs, that changes all that. And maybe oh, you're course. taking a side down and it's flatter exactly. on one side. And, yeah. Yeah. Right, to accommodate. Mm -hmm. Like my mother's, the, the, the handles that I make for my mom are probably 40% wider than the handle I would give to anybody else just because she can grasp that one. Right. And these things are so sharp. <laughs> the last thing I want someone to do is be fumbling with it in their hands and then cut themselves. Um, oh, yeah. So it's all about yeah. safety too. Absolutely, yep. about safety. Well, this was, <laughs> oh my God, this was so insightful, Matt. I mean, I'm like a whole new perspective on these knives. Mm. And and I mean, I've had an appreciation, but even more so now after talking to you. There's a, thank you, thank you very much. They're beautiful. So are you gonna teach me how to use it now? Yeah, totally. What are we gonna chop up? <laughs> what, did, what did you bring? <laughs> what did you got? You got a cantaloupe somewhere? Some paper. <laughs> <laughs> we can do that too. Thank you for joining me this week on The Makers, brought to you by Trade and Prosper. If you enjoy the show, please follow me on iTunes and listen in next week when I chat with Natalia Woodward of Batflower Press. 
Natalia has a long history of printmaking and has spent her career around precious artwork, working with high-end art dealers and organizations such as New York's MoMA. 